Hello! Welcome, nerdy knights of the well-rounded table aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Padawan learner Sarah O'Connor, that queen of queries and defender of droids. And we are here to talk about Ezra frickin' Bridger. Um, before we dive in, though, let's meet the rest of the well-rounded table of nerdy knights that we have here today. Hi, all. I'm Jedi Master and Rebel Scum collaborator Colleen McMillan. I'm Flo, your manager of mischief, and I've never seen Rebels, so I'm just here to take notes and listen eagerly. And bum bum bum, the reb the rebellion grows, um, much like how the ghost welcomed the suave agent Kalis. We've got a newcomer to our ranks as well. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? Sure thing. So I am Jedi Knight Anders Drew. Uh, I grew up loving Star Wars but never really engaged with it beyond it being this like really fun movie series with wizards and laser swords and spaceships. Uh, until I got a little older, I started getting into Clone Wars, some of the expanded universe stuff, and then I found Rebels, and it really just started to show me everything of what this uh, universe, the galaxy far, far away, can do in terms of storytelling. So I'm just really happy to be here. Awesome. And you know, what I really liked originally before Flo was going to be here, it was kind of like, oh, well, we're Jedi Padawan, we've got a Jedi Knight, and we've got a Jedi Master, but we've got like the full flipping gambit because we've also got a youngling here. Yeah, so, I crashed the party. <laughs> yeah, and we love that. So like, no matter your rank, folks, remember, here at the Nerdy Knight Well-Rounded Table, like Dooku and Anakin, much to learn we still have. And so to set the stage, frankly, Colleen wrote a bloody brilliant essay on Ezra Bridger, the main protagonist from Star Wars Rebels. And that show ran from 2014 to 2018 on Disney XD, voiced by Taylor Gray. And I frankly thought that the essay could be a standalone episode, if not series, which I kept pushing for Colleen in and of itself. So in addition to her very eloquent words, we'll be exploring Ezra's character a bit and taking a few questions from you, our dear, dear listeners and fellow BGS Nerdy Knights. And so to state the obvious, this episode is obscenely, obscenely spoiler filled. So if you haven't, like Flo, gotten a chance to watch Rebels, watch it. And then come back oh, later. All right, let me go ahead and pause this then. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> like, go take, watch all four seasons. Yeah, yeah. Take, I'll be right take your back. time worth it. <laughs> and so if you haven't enjoyed Rebels, then, or no, well, if you have enjoyed Rebels, then we want you to grab your absolute favorite drink from the cantina and prepare to relax and unwind as we engage your mind. And so obviously my role here today, like usual, is to ask questions and help us dive more deeply into Colleen's superb theory, which I endorse and adore, frankly. So are you three ready to go? Jedi is always ready. I have right. <laughs> well, without further ado, because we have a lot to cover today on one of the best Star Wars characters, it's my absurdly extreme pleasure to turn control over this Millennium fandom over to you, Colleen, my Jedi Master. Excellent. Oh my gosh. He's our little sweet space, Aladdin. I love Ezra. 
Um, I obviously have a lot to say about him because I wrote a freaking 11 page essay about him. Um, my fascination with him began like on this journey to writing this essay. I just adore Ezra. So today we're gonna spend our time getting to know this really unlikely Rebels hero. And my main purpose will probably be to defend him because there are a lot of Ezra haters out there. But no. before we get really deep, I know, so no. many, so <laughs> many people don't like Ezra. They've told really? me, and I, get, I just get like, what? But yeah, <laughs> so we're here to defend our little guy, our little, yeah. our little Ezra. Um, Andrew, Sarah, and Flo, if you want, what are your main impressions and thoughts on our plucky little Padawan? Yeah, Flo, well, you... why don't you? Yeah, Flo, go first. Okay, here's what I know of Ezra Bridger. Um, I know that when you go to Disneyland and you go to Tomorrowland to go meet Kylo and Chewbacca and the whole gang, they've got a bunch of lightsabers up on the wall. So, like, obviously the ones that I know, like Luke and, you know, Maul and whatever. And then I've always been like, who the fuck is wielding the staple gun? <laughs> that's, that's really that is a stun that. gun. <laughs> yeah. That's what's design is unique. Like Home Depot? Like, what is happening? Basically. He's scrappy. He's so scrappy. I get it. Hey, I respect the hustle, but yeah. I'm just saying, it looks like a staple gun. And the way they have it displayed is, like, not great. So that's what I know about Ezra. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. I... I love that. And Ezra for me, like, he was something before I read your essay, Colleen. So like, I'll, I'll kind of forget that Sarah, because I'm mature now through your holocron. I frankly think after rewatching the last two episodes of season two and the second to last and third to last episode of the fourth season Ezra Bridger is literally the master of life and death and it's just a matter of time for us to fully understand that that's who he is I had thought like spoiler for if you haven't yet enjoyed our Clone Wars season seven coverage I had thought that he was maybe the son and Anakin was the fought is the father but like Anakin that's interesting you tried too bad so sad like you lost the privilege i now think if we have to stick to those archetypes and i think feloni's better than that um ezra would be the father now so i'm gonna go like hardcore on record jump the gun he might be the best damn defender of droids we'll talk about that and i love him that's where i am now i'm so freaking hard for this kid I think that that's really interesting that you say that it you just you need to kind of give him time because when I first watched Rebels I think I was catching up and then I caught like the final season as it aired um I really always liked him a lot but I can see in like the wider Star Wars fandom Rebels itself and then by extension someone like Ezra tends to get kind of overlooked I mean Clone Wars was this big deal when it came out it had its original run then it had a bonus season when it came onto Netflix. Then it had another bonus season when it came onto Disney Plus. So it was like eventized three times over. And Rebels just never really had that. Yeah. And I yeah. think that it's a lot, it's really easy to kind of overlook Ezra. Because if you've watched all of Clone Wars, you know, you're thinking, and then you're on Rebels, you're like, oh my God, Ahsoka's back. Maul is back. Rex is back. Honda's back. My boy. 
Um, and then Thrawn's Thrawn there. comes, and then yeah. Thrawn comes in in season three and season four. So you and right Ezra flow, can just kinda, it's crazy. <laughs> it's wild. I mean, honestly, I stopped listening after you said Anakin, and then I just got like hard eyes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ezra can just kind of get dismissed as this potential like Luke Skywalker ripoff. Um, and there are a lot of parallels there, which I think we're going to get into a little bit later. Yeah, but there's just sure. so much more and so much character work there that they do. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Colleen, looking at this essay and I echo Sarah's point, it's just so well done. Why? What inspired you to actually write this <laughs> <Why>? out? <laughs> why? Always. Why? You've got all these, thought My You've got all these thoughts. Sarah. What inspired you to actually organize them and <laughs> put them well, out like this? I love Ezra. I'm a sucker for a hero's journey. And I was inspired by how he changed throughout the series from like this upstart whiny little kid into this leader who is actually someone capable of taking down Thrawn, which I had my doubts a lot <laughs> on the first watch. I'm like, how the fuck is he going to do this? I and think if people didn't, out, they weren't. <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't have doubts about what Ezra can do, you don't understand Ezra. Like exactly. you don't understand what Filoni and the whole crew are trying to do with Ezra. He's... Yep. anyway <laughs> well that's the point is that Thrawn doesn't understand him he thinks he does he thinks he's made all the necessary links but he ignores the natural side of the force which we'll get into a little bit later also so like yeah. Ezra he's not the smartest guy in the room <laughs> he's smart he's more savvy street smart but he's not like the towering intellect that Thrawn is but he's got a lot of other talents and he's freaking hilarious it's so so funny <laughs> Jabba the Hutt and let's see, one of the things we're having Flo do is take notes on like things that as we're talking about this, because this outline is so massive, it's not even funny. And I realized like, especially the four of us, even with Flo being a total youngling in this arena, like the four of us combined could probably talk about this for a Netflix series. So what Manager of Mischief, AKA Mom is going to do is take some notes for us. And I think the first topic that has been flagged here is like in what ways has Thrawn underestimated Ezra and how does that just like massively contribute to the true rise of the rebellion I mean it's it's absolutely incredible and so we're going to have at least a Thrawn episode, if not a Thrawn mini part series as well. And so I expect some Thrawn questions to be raised because it's all interconnected. But if we mm -hmm. don't move forward, we're just never going to stop. And either way is fine with me, frankly. But <laughs> can I ask I don't... a TV question? Yeah, of course. Okay, this is like just going back. Okay, so I know that Clone Wars takes place between clones, which is my fave and um revenge of the sith right yes, yes. okay where does rebels take place between Before their two or, okay so it's after okay got got after i just wanted to make sure i knew where i was in time yeah mm -hmm. rebels officially ends like right before you get into like Rogue one. one okay got it okay that makes sense thanks i'll no put problem. that as a note <laughs> for myself and let's see there so will be getting, a test Perfect. Yeah, there yeah. will be a test later. Um, the prize is a holocron. And so to dive a little bit more deeply into Colleen's holocron, 
What was the theory behind your piece, my love? Well, I hadn't written a nonfiction piece like in years, probably 15 years. So it was a bit like working out a muscle group that you didn't know you had and that needed to be worked out. (laughs) Like mm, this was me trying to flex and hopefully comes across okay. One of my main passions is like dissecting literature and like film TV episodes and looking at themes and stuff. I always look for character analysis stuff, themes, symbolism, um, the usual staples of like a creative writing major person. Like I'm always picking stuff apart, which can be tough because I like to also lose myself in it, which Rebels, I did. So that's probably why I enjoyed it so much. And this essay you did too. My nitpicky part came out. Yeah. I feel like you're never going to be, I feel like you're done with this finally, but it was always like, Let's keep massaging it and making it better, which oh, is yeah. why I love you. I took a obscene amount of notes on the entire series. Like, I think I got through two legal pads <laughs> just taking <laughs> notes on the series. Oh, man. I started this essay wanting it to be about Ezra's connection just to the natural force and his ability with animals. Yeah. But then that led me down another path way. And I started focusing more on his particular force skill which is basically super jedi empathy like he is yes. the most empathetic of all mm-hmm. of the jedi that we've seen so then after i think it was like my third or fourth rewatch of the series i started to pick up on this little poem that ezra uses a couple times in the show yes and then that led me to my kind of overarching theme for the essay was this poem that he uses yeah and hit us with it the poem is lothrat lothcat lothrolf run pick a path and all is done. It's kind of like an eeny miny mo kind of situation for kids to use. Or if you're confused, you're like- Turn this stupid fat rat yellow. (laughs) A little bit. It's got that same rhyme scheme kind of thing going on, that same little little melody, which yes, I love all of our HP connections too. Yes. So basically, so you don't have to listen to me do the entire essay, like reading it aloud and my vocal cords would probably be destroyed. We're going to take turns reading from it. And then we're all going to kind of interject here and there, throw our thoughts in there. So without further ado, let's dive in. Woo-woo! Woo! Detail jerky dive time. Let go. We're ready. We're ready. Ezra is ready. I've got him. Oh, wait. Hold on. There you go. Now we can start it. (laughs) All right. Here we go, everybody. This is the essay. This is the essay titled Ezra Bridger and Awakening Empathy. It's difficult to choose the right path. It doesn't matter what decision you're trying to make, there are always at least two choices. But how are you supposed to know which is right? Should you pick one that seems easiest? Another Harry Potter choice there. Or the one that will make you look best to other people? And I always wonder about that one because it's kind of like, who are you trying to prove something to and why does mm-hmm. that matter? That's part of the question as well, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, especially mm-hmm. for Ezra, who is worried about people's opinions of him. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, is he Ron? Like, everything you're saying, I'm just like, is Ezra Ron Weasley? <laughs> he's a little Ron and a little Harry. Yeah, Flo, I'm not even kidding. You're going to love Harry. this. He's yeah. a lot of Harry in him. Write this down. <laughs> he's in a good age range for that, too, because he ages from 15 to 19 in the series so and he's angsty so he's got the angst yeah he throws he throws attractive temper tantrums you know what i mean 
That's all I've ever wanted. Okay. I'm, that's what oh, I'm saying. God. You're going to love Rebels Flow. He's turning it on as soon as this is done. <laughs> and he's adorable. I just love Ezra. Ah, back to our choices. Sorry. Choice in, no, no. This is what we're here for. We need the yeah. interjections. Otherwise, we're just talking forever. <laughs> what if the choice in front of you could lead you somewhere dark? For the Jedi. No, I I see, this is what I'm the, talking about, people. We got, the, uh, this. we got the dark path and the light path, but then you think about, like, uh, it's the the Robert Frost, the two ones. Mm -hmm. They yeah. diverge in the wood, and I took the the one less traveled. Well, I would think that that would be the dark one, and that's why people avoid it. <laughs> and here, I'll say Depends one on thing. on your reading of that poem. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have a little bit of hidden symbolism here. Lightsaber, decision tree, result. So Flo will figure out what that means later, but colors mean things. And I think we talk about lightsaber colors later, right, Colleen? Yes. So, yeah. so mm -hmm. there's some symbolism here. And we'll have to here. share our own lightsaber colors later too, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, shows who people really are when you know what their lightsaber color is. <laughs> so for the Jedi, this decision is making us supposed to be easy. like. Well, you're supposed to just do what serves the greater good, whichever helps the most people. All but, right, Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. What if you weren't raised, though, to reflect this kind of innate selflessness? What if survival was your only goal for most of your life? Would it be easy to embrace connection or empathy? Probably not. For someone like Ezra Bridger from our Star Wars Rebels, Plot Rebels, it doesn't come easily. I say testify, but I see Ander shaking his head no. So this is what we're talking about. It depends. It depends. It doesn't come easily for him at first, we should say. No, not at first. Not at first. He gets there, though. I mean, he was basically orphaned at age seven. His parents were arrested by Imperials or anti-Imperial sentiments. He's left to fend for himself in Lothal's capital city. He's probably unconsciously using his Force abilities to find food and evade capture. Kind of very Aladdin-y, also jumping around from rooftop to rooftop in yeah. the capital city. Yeah, Dave Filoni has denied that that was an influence, but I refuse to believe it. Like, no, yeah, it's there, my guy. It's there. There's no way. It Space even Aladdin. looks like Agrabah. Like, it, it looks like that scene. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's perfect, Filoni. Lean into yes. it. You're so good at everything. <laughs> like, your reputation will not take a ding. Just, like, give the people what they want, and the, what we want is the truth. Exactly. <laughs> it's, fine. it's all the Disney family, so. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Oh. You're safe now, Filoni. You're safe. Your legacy is fine. <laughs> so true. Oh, man. Yeah, just like Aladdin too, Ezra lives a very solitary life, and this takes a toll on his emotional development. He's not, he doesn't have the best EQ to start out with either. <laughs> flow, um, flow note taken. Just like, well, I'm like, it, oh, neither does Ron. Okay, interesting. Yes, very, very Ron. He's better at here. sass than Ron, though. Yes, he's he really good at sex. sex. What did you say? Sass. Sass. <laughs> I was like, well, you're throwing shots. I'm sure man. Ezra's interested in that, sass. but he's he's got no game. Ezra has yeah. no game. That mm -mm. um, is Ron, so that's fine. Exactly. How, I mean, it doesn't take a lot, though, to awaken Ezra's inner good nature. You can look through his journey through the lens of that poem that he uses in the season one episode, Path of the Jedi. You can trace his empathetic development through that. So we're going to go through the three stages of the empathetic development while we're talking here today. There is the first one, Lothrat, second, Lothcat, and third, Lothwolf. 
Our Love little it. wolfies, Dave Filoni's mm-hmm. favorite. Each of these animals, and they're all native to Lothal, where Ezra's from. And there's a couple other Loth animals, but they don't fit into the poem. So I kind of just, just like go over there. They're not, not well, looking at you today. They Flo. symbolize like a step Oh, wait, in wait, 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 wait. Flo, take a note. We will have to cover other Loth animals later. People will probably want to know. And if you do want to know about animals, what about them and why? Um, here's my little cat right now, Duncan. <laughs> I'm very sorry, Dunk, but you can't stay here for right now. I think he makes a guest cameo every episode. I oh, love that will. guy. He definitely will. He likes the spotlight. He's the diva. So then, yep, we're going to look at Ezra's empathetic development because this is really important to his journey because this is his superpower, basically. Empathy is his secret weapon, which he will use against pretty much every foe throughout the series. So we're going to get into our first section. Woo! All right, so we start, Ezra starts off as the Lothrat. And just a little bit of background information, Lothrat is a rodent pest, um, and its name is a lot of the times used as an insult on Lothal. So Ezra, in the very first episode, is called Lothrat, by the only word for it is oafish imperial officer grint in uh pretty much the opening minutes of rebels uh and later on in that episode his soon-to-be jedi master kanan jarris calls him a street rat so considering lothal's animals are pretty much like earth ones just with loth in front of them um they what? probably share a lot of the same symbolic meaning too so rats are perceived as dirty, diseased, and tricky. They're not very welcome as house guests, but in reality, they're actually really clever survivalists. Yeah, and shouts to our coverage of Matilda on the podcast in episode two. We totally talk about this because, like, I totally care about it. So check it out if you haven't already, because domestic rats in in particular are definitely not dirty or gross. And wild rats themselves get a bad rap, though we still say, don't try and pet one. You're not Ezra Bridger. <laughs> you know, the rats are just out there. They're, they're trying to get some stuff done. They're trying to survive, maybe get some pizza, find their way into a happy hour. Who knows? Maybe they want to just open a gourmet French restaurant. Just like, just like just, us. Just like everybody else. They just want to live. Exactly. And so while Ezra might not have the best hygiene right now, I mean, what's a poor orphan lad to do? The second description fits him so, so much better than the negative attributes. Ezra survived on his own for eight years, proving that he is very rat-like in tenacity and intelligence. And although he diverts Imperial soldier attention away from frightened Gatal fruit, um, the merchant in the first episode, Ezra still takes a knapsack full of the food after, and we can quibble about this, rescuing the poor guy. I mean, because Ezra, I both fault and don't fault him. We're in different life circumstances, right? He's opportunistic when grabbing a speeder, and that's towing some supplies. And Ezra relishes in his ingenuity and daring. And frankly, as a watcher, I do too. And so it's doubtful though, that he was going to share the supplies at that stage in his life. That's just not his current mindset. His current mindset right now is survival. He needs to like 
fortify his little own nest at home and fill it like a little magpie with all his little artwork. He doesn't even know Sabine yet, you know? He is alone. He's confused. <laughs> he's already a collector. <laughs> yeah, he's already a collector. He just needs the ghost crew to arrive. And we also refer to them as specters, just as an FYI. And that's when they take some stolen supplies to, to the Tarkin town, which is a refugee camp on Lafal. And Ezra, frankly, it's so sad, but true. Since his parents, you know, disappeared, died, at this point, we're just not sure. He hasn't, to our knowledge, experienced altruistic behavior in years. And so he's feeling awkward when someone thanks him because he's used to having to only take care of himself and not rely on others, let alone the goodness of others. It's very true. Another aspect of routes is that they are, despite what a lot of us think, they are actually just very social creatures. So Ezra being alone and surviving doesn't really mean much when he doesn't have a community. And Colleen, when I first read this, I had this kind of thought, because as I went back, and especially on like my last rewatch of Rebels, um, I noticed that Ezra did have like a little bit of community kind of sprinkled throughout his time in this stage. Like he passed him. people on the street. Yeah, people know who he is. He's like the friendly little neighborhood scamp. You know, uh, people are laughing as the, uh, uh, if he steals something and is running away, people are kind of like giggling and watching to see how it all turns out. Yeah. <laughs> he knows the farmers. He knows people who were friends of his parents. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really kind of like how you brought that up in here. Um, in addition there, so Harrison in the first episode, if all you do is fight for your own life, your life is worth nothing. And Ezra, having been through kind of what he does in the pilot, begrudgingly agrees. Uh, and he then, it does indeed rush to help the specters after just a little bit of hesitation. Um, there's a slight blip in that relationship, though, this new relationship with the Spectres when he's captured by Agent Callus, um, who suspects that the Ghost crew will, in fact, return to try and rescue him. Ezra's initial reaction is to kind of scoff at the idea and says, people don't do that. So sad. Uh, <laughs> I know, so I know. His, his little wise-ass street-smart self just kind of reasserts itself as the dominant personality. And he thinks that he's been left behind and is going to have to get out, of, get out of this on his own. Um, and then he is completely blown away when, in fact, the ghost crew does come back for him. And it gives him his first reason he's had in a long time to trust somebody. Mm -hmm. Which is also super sad. <laughs> like he's just like, people don't do that. Like, you're an idiot, Callus. People don't put their necks out yeah. for other people. When in fact he had just done that, so it's kind of like, you just did that, Ezra, whatever. Like, you were already getting that little cute heart out there. It's the angst. It's like, the it's angst. So, so much angst. All the angst is coming out. He, I thought this point was really cool too in those first episodes. He shows a really easy affinity with the Wookiees that the ghost crew is trying to rescue. And this kind of foreshadows his innate empathic understanding of everyone. Like, yeah. he, he can't even speak their language. Like, he doesn't speak the Wookiee language, but he has no trouble communicating with them, and they're really, like, interacting with him, too. They think that he can understand them. So we see this more often as Ezra matures and grows into this ability. It's going to come out in even more crazy fashions as we go along. Yeah. 
like we said before, Ezra yearns for this kind of connection, whether it's with humans or with animals coming up. And that's pretty much what season one is focused on, is Ezra trying to connect to the specters and to other people. He's eager to train with Kanan. He learns wisdom and teamwork with Hera, which is some of my favorite parts. Also hysterical. He gains a really irritable roommate and this kind of older brother figure in Zeb, Lasat, yeah, is on their team. Sure. He has this huge crush on Sabine that eventually turns into like this super, super close bond. And then he also earns loyalty from the really cranky droid chopper. Which Again, like, I can't wait to get into this. He is such a defender of droids. I love it. They fight. I mean, everybody fights. Because Chopper doesn't take no crap from no one. No, he does not. It's very true. So if Chopper likes you, you kind of have to be like, hmm, Mm -hmm. this person's all right. Like, it's really cute throughout the first season, too, because you see Ezra thinking of Kanan and Hera as his parents. Like, they're kind of his surrogate parental figures. Yeah. And he takes that dynamic really quickly. He behaves like the typical surly teenager whenever he's chastised for mistakes and like made to go do chores and stuff. It's just like, whatever mom, whatever dad, I don't want to do that. But he, he does because he's actually fairly good at listening. He just takes a little while to get there. Yeah. He has to hiss. He has to hiss yes. out first. He does. He does have to hiss a little bit. That's our next animal. <laughs> I love too, like those clumsy early flirtations with Sabine show that he's aware of oh, other people around painful. him and he's ready to give them attention even if they don't want it and like his sibling rivalry kind of relationship with zeb is also really sweet it yeah, showcases his it. need for this camaraderie mm-hmm. like as someone who was like an only child probably craved this relationship with like a sibling and he gets that in zeb even though zeb really doesn't want him around at all <laughs> at first and then some at of first. the best moments are with chopper we'll talk more about this later with defending the droids but you don't see this very often, people actually taking in the droid's feelings into account mm-hmm. and believing that they're sentient beings. Ezra, even at one point, like, throws his body on top of Chopper to, <laughs> like, protect him from an explosion. Yeah. That's freaking huge. I don't know anybody even, else. Even, like, even Poe Dameron, who I think very much loves a BB. specific mm-hmm. droid BB-8. Yeah. I was I think, I think- I like Poe. Yeah, yes. I mean, I will say though with Poe, so that I like I don't offend anyone. I think though Poe trusts BB-8 to know. Not that Ezra doesn't, but I think that it's not that Poe wouldn't do it. I think it's that he's just like, go, go get it, my guy. You can handle mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It just speaks volumes of the characters who defend the droids in the series, and I just love 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 that. Yeah. Like this ability yeah. of Ezra's to make. And keep, really important, keep friends is a recurring theme for the entire series. And the first season sets up that he has this innate talent to draw people to him and to keep their loyalty. Like, it's one thing to be charismatic and to have people follow you, but it's another for them to keep coming back and stick with you through, like, your entire life. Even after you make a lot of mistakes as they're staring you in the face saying, this is a mistake. (laughs) Yes. Oh, poor Ezra. He's such a little teenage piece pain in the ass so moody we'll get to that though too yes and i would say another one of ezra's unique gifts is almost this and i love it universal understanding and connection with animals though this doesn't come easy to him at first 
Kanan tries to get Ezra to connect with a feisty little loft kitty boy through the force, but Ezra fails miserably. Kanan says, quote, step outside yourself. Make a connection with another being. And Ezra, frankly, doesn't see the point. He wants to learn how to fight and control with his new power. Hi, Anakin. But this is the Force's most important lesson, that he's not alone in the universe. He never was. He never will be. The Force binds him to the Lothcat as well as other beings, but he can't yet drop his inner guards, the walls that he felt he had to put up or, in fact, had to put up. We learn why Ezra was so solitary. His parents were arrested by the Empire for broadcasting anti-government statements, showing Ezra that, at least to him, trying to do good and make connections with others only gets you into trouble. Serious trouble. And he can't let his guard down or he might share their same fate, a fate he doesn't know truly what truly has happened, which also really kind of increases the fear in my mind. And he can't forgive the family friend who re-enters his life, Rodan Cebu, who I loved Cebu so. so cute. I, I love Cebu so much <laughs> so for abandoning him after his parents' arrest. By closing him off from this absolution for Cebu, Ezra closes him off from <coughs> the Force, which is so sad. Bless you. Thank you. May the Force be with you. <laughs> Always. All right, and that kind of gets us into episode nine of season one, which is called Gathering Forces, and that gives us our first real look at how powerful Ezra could become. So they've been tracked, the rebels have been tracked to a Clone Wars military fort by a dark side villain called the Grand Inquisitor. Kanan plans on Ezra making a connection with the deadly Vernock creatures who live in the base. Kanan knows Ezra won't actually be able to gain control and make the connections all on his own. He's probably going to need help. Um, but he also needs to let go of that anger and forgive Cebu. So he puts Ezra in the position to confront that pain. Finally admitting he's not afraid of the creatures themselves as they slink closer and closer to him and Kanan. Ezra finally says out loud, quote, I am not afraid of them. I'm afraid of knowing. I'm afraid of the truth. I'm sorry. I forgive you, Sibo. And then by releasing that fear and resentment, Ezra's internal walls just come crashing down and his power starts to really flourish. And I'm like trying not to kind of well up right now because, and I'm, because I, yeah. It's a really good scene. Mm -hmm. um we're clued into how special ezra is in this moment also by after ezra has made that connection with the phrynox kanan's kind of astounded he's like this is not normal this is not how this you shouldn't be able to do this this quickly Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and you know he thought he was gonna have to kind of lend a helping hand but ezra's got it it's fine um, and we see some of the first real pride that Caden starts to show toward his toward his young Padawan. Can I just be really just weird for a second? So cute. Like one a second, s- really? Yeah, just <laughs> just one little one. So especially since we have Flo here with like the Harry Potter stuff, 
when I read Frynox, since it's spelled F Y R, yeah, I was gonna say thank you, thank you, because I was like, wait, I feel like it's fear, like knocking on Ezra, right? There's a lot of those like tiny little, tiny little word gems that I'll call it, but it's also like Mm -hmm. in Harry Potter, Knox means like the lights go out, but it's spelled differently, so it's Mm -hmm. almost like the fear either goes dark or darkness, which is an unfortunate word to use for it, is like fear intensifying. So I just, mm-hmm. that's just a little vocab, little query theory. Bring. Wait, so I've got to like it. Like, this yes. is post order 66, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, how is this kid not being hunted down for being force sensitive? They don't know about so it. So actually, we mentioned we mentioned uh, the Grand Inquisitor. Um, probably uh, something to note to make a uh, make yeah. a full topic on it later. But to sum it up, the Inquisitors are dark side force users who the Emperor and Darth Vader have sent out to hunt for sensitive people. Got it. So are to they try like, and find them? Are they yeah. like on the run? Pretty much. Kind of, just because Kanan's part of a rebel unit also. And yeah. he's basically closed himself off from the force for like 15 years, pretty much. Like as soon as as soon as soon Ezra joins the ghost, he's he's now they on the run. The target. Yeah. yeah, and then and then further, it is discovered that Ezra is a force yielder and there's just like, people are thirsty for him. Okay. Once once the Inquisitors know, like in the very first episode, or first, second part of the first episode, Kanan brings out his lightsaber and says, everyone's going to be in on the secret now. So he hasn't used his lightsaber in years. And they thought that all the Jedi were gone. Right, 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 right. So then they see him wielding the lightsaber and they're like, oh shit, Jedi. (laughs) Oh, and, and that here's, kind of alerts the Inquisitor that he needs to go to Lothal and find him. Right. And here's a good question. Are, like, and this might, this might heat some people up, but it's a topic worth posing. Are Kanan and Ezra true quote-unquote Jedi because Kanan was quote-unquote only a Padawan when until, he lost his master? Until a specific point, yes. And mm-hmm. so... Sometimes, especially with this newer canonical stuff, sometimes older veteran Star Wars fans, I'm positing, get a little bit feisty because some of these rules are getting touched on and or developed and or pushed in new ways that one could argue were always there if you were looking for Mm -hmm. it, but... Yeah. Um, it really depends <laughs> on how you interpret things. So I think Yoda I think said that's... Luke was the last one. Yeah. So I think it's a Why fair question. Why are we question. trusting Yoda? <laughs> are you are you a Jedi if you weren't trained, or are you just force sensitive? It depends. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would say you would need a trainer in order to be See, called a Jedi. That's what I'm talking about. So so the fact that the formal steps didn't happen, it's kind of like knighthood, right? Like you can be a hedge knight, but not a knight. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about it on another day There'll when we can get feisty about it. We can definitely yeah. Dive yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So, Colleen, without further ado, let's dive. Oh, yep, let's dive yep. back into it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So we're still with the Fearnox right now. We get a glimpse of what Ezra's power could become if he gets corrupted by the dark side, 
the Grand Inquisitor, he's a dark side force user and he's very powerful. He eludes the Fearnox who are kind of running after all the Imperial soldiers that are also there. He tries to kill Kanan and he mocks Ezra to a point where he unknowingly pushes Ezra to access the dark side. So Ezra's like, this, this is one of the scarier parts in Rebels when you realize what Ezra's doing. He puts out <laughs> like huge amount of manipulative force power. He's able to raise this giant Fearnock queen. It's like the mom, basically, of all the other little Fearnocks that are running around. Yeah, the and Molly Weasley like, of them. Yes, she is like the Molly Weasley of all these little guys running around. And she is massive and terrifying. And even the Grand Inquisitor is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, what, what did I do? And the Queen Fearnock attacks him on Ezra's orders. Like, Ezra points at him and basically is like, go fucking kill this guy. <laughs> it's like what kind of connection occurs here like when you're using the dark side for this reason instead of the light side like the smaller necks were super mesmerized by Ezra but they were calm and kind of curious they're just kind of like sitting there waiting for him to say stuff like what's up dude you're my friend yeah <laughs> but the queen you can tell she is just like filled with rage she's feeding off of Ezra's particular energy he turned then, her babies into child soldiers yeah. <laughs> she's still listening to him I mean, she's listening to him so it's like he's just putting out this massive amount of empathetic dark side force to try and get her to act and in the end this connection is really unstable like the effort to do it makes Ezra faint once the connection is broken the queen like disengages and runs he didn't have this problem with the other Fearnox they're still like running around chasing the Imperials after his connection <laughs> with them is broken so it's like what what's going on here like he inspired their loyalty i think instead of forcing them to help him like yeah. he did with the queen which is why yeah he doesn't continue to attack the grand inquisitor when their connection's broken and i just i loved watching this um this part in this episode because it also it starts to push things in a slightly new direction like up until this point ezra really is just kind of a luke luke skywalker stand-in you know he's an orphan mm -hmm natural force user, surrogate father figure, and this master, everything's kind of coming up like straight parallel. But then this like, not necessarily new, but a very, very different take on the ability to use the force and how it connects with people starts mm -hmm. to set him apart and really come into his own as a new, fully formed character. Right, right. He's not just a substitute, Luke. Exactly. So are you like- At this point anymore. So Flo, are you like turned on yet? Is this like working for you? <laughs> yes, but it's funny that you're comparing, like obviously I have no background knowledge of any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like as I'm listening to you guys, I did not hear Luke. Like I definitely heard Anakin as a parallel. Like it's a couple. Me too. Couple there too. Anakin works like, too. Super, super sad childhood. Like obviously Anakin in slavery with just his mother, no father around built a droid didn't really care about his droid at all but that's a side a tough look to have tough look. and then like was good was good for a long time i mean we assume like used the force to win that pod race for half of his right. life basically he was good yeah and then like had a really dark moment accessed what we assume is the dark side when he killed all those tuscan raiders <laughs> and women and the children too just a little light genocide no big deal yeah so, I mean, that's we still tell I was... stories about that years, years later. The Tuscans avoid that place. 
Yeah, isn't it called like the Valley of Death or something? <laughs> something like that, yeah. Something very subtle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's I mean, what subtlety I was is key in Star Wars. And we know yeah. how absolutely. Anakin, so yeah, yeah, Flo, I I agree with you. Like, I'm excited to hear Colleen's and and Anders' take on this. And maybe, frankly, this is like an SD, like a pod episode. Like, is Ezra? more like Anakin, more like Luke, or frankly, the Bendu of the two. Um, Could be. Yes. So I think that that's a- Anakin and Luke are very similar too. Like they're just like the same path that just kind of diverged. Yes, very true. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But he's not a substitute Luke or Anakin, right Colleen? He's his own character. He, He has his own stuff that he has to do, which comes up in the next episode, Path of the Jedi. So Kanan mm-hmm. has seen Ezra access the dark side. And he's like, shit. <laughs> Didn't think we'd get there that fast, but all right, we're going to have to take care of that. So the next episode, Path of the Jedi, it's kind of like about emphasizing the series' themes of teamwork and protecting your family. But Ezra has to go and work with Kanan because he's, he's like, he's a, a student. He knows he has to work with his teacher, but this is like actual teamwork kind of situation to open the temple. Right. And he's able to do it, which Kanan is like, oof, all right, so at least we got past that speed bump. <laughs> They're there to further Ezra's teaching because Kanan can't teach him everything about the dark side because he was just a Padawan when Order 66 hit. So he hasn't had as much teaching also. But he knows that Ezra needs to face this trial and kind of face the darkness. It's a little bit like Luke going into the tree on mm. Dagobah in yeah. Empire. This is basically what Kanan's trying to do for Ezra kind of set him this task of you need to face the dark side and see if you can overcome it. And if you can't, we're both going to die in the temple. So that's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Mm. Right. It's like thinking of things as we go. Did, no, I love this. Did Kanan know Anakin? Because Anakin he knew of him. Not. He would know who yeah. he was. Okay. Kanan was, was, was like, ish. Yeah, Kanan was like 14, 13, 14, 13, 14 when Order 66 yeah. hit. How old was Anakin during Order 66? 22, 23, I think. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, they're not that far apart. Uh, Yeah, like 22. Both very attractive. But he would have been (laughs) older when Anakin killed all the younglings. He was stationed with his own Jedi Master on a different planet. That was a good call. Yes, (laughs) Deepa actually picked him when he was pretty young. Picked Kanan when he was young. So it was kind of lucky that he wasn't in the temple. Yeah, because I feel like Anakin would have annihilated him. Yes. 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 As you will see in one of the episodes of Rebels. Yes. <laughs> Wait, you get to see Anakin, I'm in. Yeah. Oh, you might not be. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but it is excellent. That is one of the best parts of the series is when certain people make little cameos. You're like, oh. I just watched it today and sobbed. Yeah. <laughs> I literally Yes, that those two episodes are just like a I just watched it right before we started recording. (laughs) I did too. It's got like all my favorite characters just right there in one two episodes. And that is episode what? Season two, (laughs) the final the finale. Twilight Apprentice parts one and two. Yeah, you have to watch one and two, not just the last Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Right. Like well, it's worth. It's like forty minutes of pure like amazingness. You're gonna yes. be fine. You're gonna be so, so grateful. Good. It's pretty much the best Star Wars content out there. Yes. Like speaking of cameos too, we get Yoda. 
Yeah. How freaking was that when that when he shows up, you know, like, voice crap. only in the temple, and you're just like, whoa, 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 hold up. <laughs> and Ray. Like, oh no, 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 that was later. That was later. I'm thinking about season four. I apologize, Mea culpa. Yeah, it's just Yoda for now, who is yeah, alive. Sorry. He's alive right now. He's on Dagobah, so he's probably like getting these little flickers in the forest. And he's like, gosh, ooh, somebody's in a temple somewhere. Better go yes. test them. It's like, what's that? What's that freaking like security system where you can like, my friends do this, where they like have a camera for their dog in the house and they're like, oh, Turbo. activity. Yes. <laughs> Yoda has like a, one of those for the force, right? Oh, yeah. Like just yes. across the galaxy. Yeah. If you're good, it spits a kyber crystal at you. Yeah. Yep. yep. Oh, maybe it was just like a Facebook <laughs> Like maybe he's got like a notification when people check in at a temple. Safe, yeah. safe from Anakin babysitting. Right. <laughs> right. As we're checked in, everything's fine. <laughs> so Yoda's kind of here in the temple to make sure Ezra's worthy of being trained as a Jedi. It's the temple's job to kind of like dig really deeply into Ezra's mind, search his fears, and we find out what Ezra's afraid of, and it is fucking heartbreaking. He is afraid of failure. He's afraid of letting Kanan down. This one really got to me. He's afraid that the crew only keep him around because oh, they yeah. pity him and to use him. Like he sees this vision of the ghost crew. It's so, does that, so sad. And Flo, like, how Oof. hard does that sound like Ron in the tent? Yeah. That's Ron in the tent. Yeah. He's basically afraid ultimately of being abandoned and of being alone especially after he's found this new family. He's like, he knows that it could be tenuous and that he could be left alone. But he, he eventually gets past this task. He, he figures out that the temple is testing him. He's like, okay, I got this now. I got this. But here comes Yoda again. <laughs> Hard-hitting questions with Yoda. Just all the freaking questions. He asks Ezra why he wants to be a Jedi. This is a fucking trick question, you guys. I mean, he should have prepped for his interview, I'm just saying. You really should have. I mean, you're not supposed to, though. That's the point, is that you're supposed to go in kind of cold and not know what's going on. Ezra, I mean, maybe course, if Yoda like, had uh, questioned Palpatine this much at the when he was right? trying to get elected to be chancellor, we wouldn't be in this mess. I mean, or facts. The, uh, the entrance interview, did, like, man. More shark tests. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you see death in everything. I think we right. should stop. <laughs> yeah, we should probably Please stop this. the brakes I mean, on this. Ezra kind of gives that dark side leaning answer too to this question. He says he wants to gain power and to make the empire pay for what they've done. And so that he won't be helpless anymore, which is also very anakin -y coming on there. But Yoda's kind of like, wait a minute, I don't think that's what you really mean. He says, like, really though, what do you really want? And Ezra's like, fine, all right, I'm just gonna let it lay it all out here. He sheds all of that darker kind of pretense that he came up with and he said, quote, I'll protect everyone, not just me. They, the Spectres, give everything away. And I see how it makes people feel. They feel alive, like I do now. Also heartbreaking. So he's he's felt like he hasn't been alive probably for like the last eight years, which is so sad. This poor yeah. kid, he's like 15 years old and he's trying his best. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool because the temple believes him. Yoda believes him. Duncan believes him. The temple believes him. He gets his first kyber crystal. It kind of floats down in the temple. It kind of looks a little world between worlds here. Hmm. Could, Could be Ezra's first time accessing it, not gaining complete control or complete entrance yet, but he's in that kind of waiting room. He's in the lobby of the world between worlds. 
So he gets his yeah. kyber crystal and he gets to build his first Home Depot lightsaber that Flo <laughs> loves so much. So I think it, it looks cool. I'm just I think it, I think it's really cool. The design is really cool when you see what it can do. I mean, okay, yeah, that I, part is really Kanan's cool. like mine doesn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I love when Kanan says that. It feels like a Wiimote, which like yeah. I can appreciate mm. that like mm-hmm. it's a little okay. bit sturdier, can't be flicked out, but exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So can't... after this, we're kind of prepped now to watch Ezra's rise. Like we we can feel it here. We're like, oh shit, he's got the lightsaber. Like shit just got real. Yeah. And so Kylie, I wanted to ask you just a little bit more about this whole this whole sequence in the temple, mm-hmm. because as you kind of said earlier, this is the first point Ezra uses that poem as like an eeny meeny miny mo. He's he Kanan's back out in the entryway, the doors are shut, and he basically tells Ezra, you go figure out what you gotta do. I'm gonna wait for you here. And if you can't do it, I guess we'll starve to death. And so Ezra has to pick a door. He's like, eh, low threat, love cat, low full run, pick a path, all is done. And considering how the final part of that is to actually choose a path, I just think it's really interesting that it's used as that kind of eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He's basically absolving himself of having to actually think about it and make the choice. Here's, mm-hmm. here's, a, hot, here's a hot little whatever that's kind of Rick and Morty of him. Like if yeah. you've <laughs> seen the most recent episode stuff. Like, yes. I, I really like this point, Anders. Go, go mm-hmm. ahead, Colleen, because yep. yep. I want to hear what you have that's to say. That's an excellent question. I think the sequence shows that Ezra, he's not quite taking this seriously yet. Mm-hmm. He's not taking the test seriously. Um, I don't think he's ready. He's not ready to actually choose. He can't, at this point, choose. So he instead <laughs> chooses to follow one of the temple's illusions of Canaan running through a door. So he doesn't choose the path. He lets the temple choose it for him. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of cute that he fell back on this childhood poem. Instead mm-hmm. of freaking searching the force for the crowd. <laughs> after Kanan told him he should be like looking in the forest and searching your feelings like he, he's not ready not ready yeah. for that quite yet and, and, her, I and think... Ezra's response was just like yo trust me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Kanan's like sure <laughs> and I think that's a really good kind of transition to get to your next point Colleen that like we also get to see how Ezra's deepening empathic power could end up causing some harm, right? So by opening himself up to others, Ezra starts to develop or I guess further enhance some of his trust issues, but by the exact opposite of how he lived alone when on Lethal. He frankly starts trusting too freely now that he's found some like his people, right? Once you find Mm -hmm. your people, it allows you to drop down your guards. And so when searching for information on a captured Kanan, Ezra tells Visago, a dubious smuggler, that both he and Kanan are Jedi to gain his master's location. Like, Look, guy's got to do what a guy's got to do. Kanan already (laughs) let the cat out of the bag. It's not going to be too long before the Imperials are like, hey, we captured a Jedi. Like, really? Yep. Yep. I just, I think, I think the information was really supposed to take viewers aback. You were supposed to think like, 
what is this kid doing giving mm-hmm. away the creme de la creme of secrets? And at least at least how the show is structured from a plot device standpoint, we see yeah. Sabine, Zeb, and Hera, all three of them who were supposed to trust his viewers, they're not happy that Ezra divulged the secret, though I love I love your point, Anders, because we're still in the Lothrat section. You have to do what you mm-hmm. have to do. So he divulges it, and Ezra has faith that Visago's information will come through because he's a trusting, smart, scrappy rat. And so, unfortunately, this time, while Visago's intel, um, no, while Visago's intel is accurate, we'll see later in season two that Ezra shouldn't be putting his trust in people so quickly. So before we get to Ezra's next stage, though, we should observe that early in season two, now that we're making that transition, Ezra starts to feel Darth Vader's presence before either Kanan or Ahsoka Tano even, which is like, although, and we won't get into it, once Anakin is gone, it makes sense that Ahsoka wouldn't be as in tune with Vader. So like, it both does and does not surprise, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so noting the oppressive cold when the Sith Lord is nearby, Ezra is the epitome, the epitome of the phrase, search your feelings, because he is most attuned to the side of the force. And I can't remember, Colleen, and I apologize if we get to this later. You see this again when Ezra has the holocron, the Sith holocron, and Kanan does not sense it, even though it's right bloody there. So, so I mean, what what do you think of these concepts, Anders? So I really like this idea. I love that. He, I love. I don't think until I actually read this um, that I really noted that he does sense Vader before either of the other two. Yeah. Um, and I love that the idea that he is just that in tune to that side of the Force. But as I want to do, I do want to kind of speculate a little bit, see what other kind of theories we can come up here with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could it be that he senses that first because Kanan and Ahsoka have both spent, you know, 15 years or so in hiding, kind of shielding themselves off from the force or from being sensed by others or whatnot. So those guards are kind of still up. Whereas Ezra is so new at all of this, he's just kind of free flowing. Could that just kind of raw power be what's causing that? And I think that's a really good point because, yeah, Kanan and Ahsoka haven't been tapping into the Force as much as they probably should be, even though the Imperials know that they're around now, so they are freer Mm -hmm. to go and move into the Force a little bit more. Yeah. They're also not attuned with the dark side, like Sarah said, so they might not be picking up on the dark side energy because they haven't used it. Ezra has used it fairly recently. So he's yeah. probably a little more open just to the dark side presence being there. Yeah, I mean, Ahsoka... Poor yeah. Ahsoka. Like, right, right. Like, Ahsoka teaches Ezra, you know, you have to get to know your enemy. Mm-hmm. But Ezra is already open to understanding how his emotions can be used for power, which makes sense. He's the freaking empath. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense if the empath, even if he is a 
Jedi without the capital J title would be using emotions. It's, I mean, lightsabers account for that kind of thing, even within the Jedi order. And, and I really like the point that kind of like, Colleen had, had raised how he was unconsciously using the force but mm-hmm. now now he knows it's possible. Like sometimes when you like think something is true, you can only go so far. But once once someone else confirms that for you, you can then take it so much farther. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as he has people in his community that help him take down those walls, those walls don't need to be there anymore. And he's using muscles. Like I yeah. can't. I can't remember Colleen or Anders. Do you remember if Yoda or frankly anyone, but I think Yoda would be the one more than anyone has talked about the idea of sensing people, or maybe Luke talked about this in the most recent movie, right? About using the force almost as a muscle to be able to sense other people. You can't just, you can't just atrophy that skill. So to your your point. I think that's Luke during last Jedi. Okay. When he's teaching Ray. Yeah. Yeah. So he I still can pull from the skill set. It might be a little more difficult for him, but he so he comes so back I into think, full power pretty quickly. Yeah, I yeah. think I think the canon kind of answers that for us in a way. Although I get a little bit salty with Luke because he's he's there burning, trying to burn some books and stuff. So <laughs> I love, like, I love Luke. yeah, so, Luke is one of my favorite things. I love yeah. it. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So, so Colleen, I think we're, now that we're starting to talk more deeply about this quote unquote dark side, mm-hmm. are we starting to get at that transition point, do you think? Yes, I think we're heading into our next stage pretty quickly. He, he remains in the Lothrat stage until his first sighting of the white Lothcat, which we'll be getting to really soon. And when he meets former governor of Lothal, Ryder Azadi, who will be another semi-important character coming up for Ezra. Only when he meets these two characters can he transition into the next step. He um, actually has a couple really cool things that he does before he gets here. He uses his newfound gifts for connection and persuasion. He's also learning how to persuade people. He enlists former clone trooper Rex, our boy Rex. We missed you so much. He enlists Rex to the rebellion very successfully because Rex was pretty darn adamant about not doing it and then he all of a sudden he freaking shows up and you're like oh I guess Ezra convinced him that's pretty good <laughs> he also this is a, this is one of my favorites he meets and impresses former pirate lord Hondo Onaka Hondo <laughs> Hondo might be my favorite character and he's like, so good the animated Star Wars stuff I love him I love, love him so, so good, much but like, Hondo's my boy Hell yes, he's fantastic. I mean, I'm a card-carrying member of the Honda Honaka fan club. I I love him so much. He's just that kind of chaotic, neutral, slash chaotic good person that you want kind of floating around in a series like this, just because he can stir up some trouble. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on, Ezra. (laughs) When he meets Hondo, this is like he's starting to get over into that kind of really hugely overly trusting characteristic. Like... Mm, you're like this is <laughs> it it will turn out fine in the end but this you're kind of sitting there staring at the screen being like damn it that's <laughs> why why are we trusting hondo this person that you just met who's telling you that he's basically a criminal <laughs> but that's fine 
That's cool. Hey, Ezra's not really... one to judge. No, he doesn't. That's just the cool part about him is that he doesn't judge people, which also makes them trust him in return, which will be helpful in the end. It's just right now you just sit here and like, what is happening? Yeah. Another really cool moment. I love this part too with the kids. They find some Force-sensitive kids. Flo, this is the um, Inquisitors, are hunting down Force-sensitive children. And yeah, they're basically hunting babies. Do all these children have brooms or no? No. <laughs> no brooms, but they are different species. Oh. There's, I think there is a Rodian, a human, and an Athorian who they are tracking at this point. And they're all like babies. They're either babies or they're very young toddlers. And it's yeah. like, first of all, like, how are they finding these kids? But well, they have an intricate system of how to find people. And they go by like the rumor mill kind of to go and search they, they for these kids. They found all the Baratheon bastards, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Like, it is possible to find them. So they're hunting them. Ezra actually helps defend some of these kids, and he has to try and use his empathetic muscles and flex a little bit and try and connect with babies. Who like, He's like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with babies, though, Kanan. <laughs> I don't know. Nope, nobody he's like just sitting here. He's like, you have the talent to connect. Use it. <laughs> That's just like, ah, what with their children? I don't know what to do. But he like he eventually does like embrace this talent at the end. He's like the last one standing against the Inquisitors. He's like holding the baby with his lightsaber. Like he's not gonna back down. He's got like the big Gryffindor energy at this point. Yeah. And once he kind of embraces this aspect too, just like not protecting himself and his crew, but also these kind of extended characters, he's ready to move on to that next stage. And so I like, love how you're how you chart that journey throughout this whole thing, Colleen. Um, like, especially <laughs> where, especially where these transitions are happening. Right. Um, and I really like the, I think for me, one of the biggest um, illustrations of this transition comes in the episode Call to Action, where they invade the communications tower and they have a chance to kind of get this broadcast out to as many people as possible. And it's Ezra who delivers the message. He puts out a call about how we all need to stand up together, united. He's embracing that community. Um, and he's also taking control and choosing that path. So really kind of getting rid of that Lothrop label that was really put on him by those around him and choosing to move forward. And it's also this nice callback to his family who, as you said, got arrested for um, for broadcasting against the Empire. Mm -hmm. And so now he's kind of taking up that mantle. Yeah, and I, I love, I love how you both had kind of flagged that the Lothrat label was hoisted onto him and it's mm -hmm. now finally his time to yes. step up and away from that. The only additional thing I have to add before we get into the kitty cat section is that I want to give a shout to House Hufflepuff and say our little animal-loving, environmental-friendly, yada, yada, <laughs> yada. I, he's got brave Hufflepuff energy, in my humble opinion. Like, Gryffindors may want Ezra, yeah. but I'm going House Hufflepuff for him. I can I see can him see as it. Puff, definitely. Yeah. He, was, he was just abandoned. What's a Puff supposed to do without the community to cook for? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, now that he has his community, he's going to make sure that 
everybody is protected as opposed to, I think one of the key distinctions between him and Anakin is Anakin wanted to protect his specific loved ones, which I don't fault him for, but it can lead to problems. Ezra wants to protect everyone, which maybe is more noble depending on a certain point of view. It really depends because that too can lead to trouble. So speaking of trouble, I think it is now time for us to move to our next step, Lothcat. We went way over time. So it is a cliffhanger. Bum, bum, bum. Stay tuned next week for our exploration of Ezra's next stage in his character development, Lothcat. So in the meantime, keep sending us your Ezra questions because we're going to continue engaging in detailed dorky dies of this wonderful, wonderful character. And in the meantime, guess what you can do, boys and girls? You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And frankly, head over to our YouTube channel and hit that subscribe button because it honestly does really flipping help us young up-and-comers. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us today, telling your friends about us, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you have any questions or theories about anything we've discussed today or you're looking forward to us discussing in tomorrow's tomorrow, you can hit us up on Instagram at Geek Studies, uh, Bohemian Geek Studies. Tweet us at us on Geek Studies or email us at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. So thanks so much uh, for joining us today and like the force always. Lightsabers up and keep those episodes streaming. Bye, nerdy nights. Bye.